Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And last week we went over uh, Isaiah 7, verse 14. And tonight we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. Just going over a few Christmas prophecies. I mean, there were so many other passages that we probably could have looked at. Genesis 3.15, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We've done that in the past. And it's just so amazing when you look back in the Old Testament and you see the way that God had prophesied that his son would be born of a virgin. And we're going to see that again tonight. But look what it says here in Isaiah chapter 9 in verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even for how long? forever the zeal of the lord of hosts and that's the the lord of heaven's army will perform this isn't that cool i mean it's just a beautiful passage and here we see that unto us a child is born and you might read that and in one sense that's not too significant 385,000 children are born every day totaling about 140 million every year and so you know, a child is born. But the next line, it says, unto us a son is given. Now that's a little different. And of course, it turns out to be a lot different because as you go on and read this text, you read that this child who is born, this son who is given is God. It was a prophecy written 700 years before Christ about his birthday. And so as we go over these two verses tonight, there's three words that I'm going to test you on afterwards. If I see you over there eating cookies and drinking uh, cocoa, I'm going to say, do you remember these three words? Because we kind of like sometimes to put handles on things, okay? Number one is his nature. We're going to see, first of all, his nature. And then secondly, his nobility. His nobility. And then thirdly, his name. And so they all start with N, and so that should be easy for you guys to remember, and so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll test you afterwards. Maybe there'll be a little a prize if you know the three uh, words. But number one, his nature. We see it there again in verse 6. Uh, For unto us a child is born, that's his humanity, and unto us a son is given, and that's in reference to his deity. We see he's called mighty God there at the uh, end of verse 6. And so when we're celebrating Christmas, uh, it's interesting. You know, I was uh, watching a news article on, on Fox, watching a news clip. And uh, one of the guys was saying that a survey was given to the United States of America. And they said that 84% of Americans believe that we have forgotten the true meaning of Christmas. And, you know, and as you go through, I'll tell you what, man, most of Americans are celebrating Christmas, right? And most of the people in the world are celebrating Christmas, but how many of them are really celebrating Christ? You know, it's really cool to come together and to ponder the thought that God became a, a baby. It, God, the divinity, took on humanity. It never ceases to amaze me that the one who pondered all this, imagined the world, created the world, the one who made and maintains all the gazillion galaxies in the world, actually entered our world. 
And it wasn't a grand entrance by any means. If you think about the baby being born, it was dark, it was painful, it was traumatic, there was blood, it was smelly. But there he was, born a baby, bundled up in swaddling cloths to protect him from the cold, the elements. This God who made all the gazillion galaxies was completely helpless when the infinite became an infant. Now, last week I shared with you that verse, and this is so relevant, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without question, great is the mystery of godliness, how God was manifested in the flesh. You know, I'm not sure how much he weighed. Uh, the average baby is maybe about 7 pounds, 21 inches, and there he was, God, as that little baby, just like other babies. He wasn't born with a halo on his head. He didn't have a perpetual smile No, our creator cried, heaven hungered. Uh, uh, The divine would have died without mommy's milk, without daddy's protection. The maker, he even made a mess, if you know what I mean. I mean, that was God. That's how much he entered into our world. That's what God did. You know, the one who spoke everything into existence. Think about that. By the power of his name, you read in the book of Genesis that God spoke it into existence. Uh, From nothing to everything, that same one needed to learn to talk. One noise, one syllable at a time. The one who was the head of all creation could not even hold up his head. You know how it is when the babies are there and you're trying to be real careful. There was God. You know, and I wonder... You know, it wasn't a God-man when he was born. Remember, he was the God-child. Did he know that the day that he was born? You know, theologians will go back and forth whether or not Jesus, as an infant, did he know he was God? And we don't have the answers to that and so many other things. There's such a mystery about all this. It's crazy to think that on the day he was born, he was the same age as his father, and he was infinitely older than his mother. Think about that. And so, um, again, so much we could say about the second person, why he took on the human flesh, this second person of the Trinity. But we know that he entered our world to show us who God is, you know, to know how we feel. And you guys, you're going through things, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever the, the, the struggles or temptations are, we know that Jesus was there. He went through the same thing you're going through, tempted in every point, yet without sin, in order to help us in those times, in order to teach us, and of course, primarily to reach us. And as we go through Christmas season, I pray that we would come out stronger. You know, in one sense, I was thinking about it this way, that God was born so we could be born again. Amen? Some of you guys are born again. You have really, truly, genuinely, sincerely been saved. There's a complete difference in your life. There's an appetite for the Bible. There's an appetite for prayer. There's an appetite to serve. You love to fellowship. You love to bring people to Christ. Why? Because you're born again. If you don't have that, it's because you're not born again. But when you're born again, you have a desire, right, in this relationship with God. So he was born so that we could be born again. But I'll tell you what, you've got to be here as Christians and we're celebrating Christmas, but I would even say it like this, not that we can get saved again, but sometimes we need to get born again, again, and again, and again. We need that fire. You know, today I was reading in the book of uh, Revelation about how, you know, there's a lukewarm church. And Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'll, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I was reading today in the book of Revelation about 
how the church of Ephesus had left their first love. Is that us? Is that you? And this is an opportunity, you know, it's so cool to be able to celebrate this, how he was born so we could be born again, and in one sense, again. You know, the world will use that term, born again, as kind of like a, a new beginning. God, do that work in my life. You know, he was born, yeah, to teach us, but of course, primarily to reach us. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then over in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared to an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And so when you're thinking about like the doctrine of Christ or the doctrine of the incarnation, it's very important for us to know that he came in the flesh, that the divine took on the human nature. As a matter of fact, uh, there was a time in, in the early church, uh, towards maybe the end of that century, that people were teaching, it's called Gnosticism, that God didn't come in the flesh because they uh, basically thought that all matter was evil and therefore God couldn't. So they thought that God came as a phantom, that he left footsteps, but there was no real body. But that's an, a very important doctrine for us to have. God took on human flesh. As a matter of fact, in 2 John verse 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is deceiver and an antichrist. And so the interesting thing is, when you look at this in the Greek language, he came in the flesh and he continues in the flesh. You know, there's uh, another group of uh, people who call themselves Christians, but, but they're not because they deny the Lord who bought them. Jehovah Witnesses believe that when Jesus rose from the dead, that he didn't rise in the body, that it was not flesh. But this right here, the Greek language says he, he came in the flesh and he continues in the flesh. And so this is what God did, taking on human flesh forever. And we're going to see that as we go through our text today. 100% God and 100% human. So number one in looking at this is his nature. But then number two is his nobility. And that is the quality of being noble in character or mind or birth or rank. And so when you're thinking about Christmas, I think it's important, number one, to know the nature, 100% God, 100% man. What an awesome thing that is to ponder. But then don't forget his nobility. Again, look there at verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will perform this. And so you, you have his nature, but then you have his nobility. And, and it's interesting how it says that the government will be upon his shoulders. It doesn't say governments, plural. It, it's specifically in the Hebrew singular. And this government will be upon his shoulders, rest upon his shoulders. And what that means is that Jesus alone will shoulder all the responsibility of governing the universe. And just in case you've been watching a lot of Marvel movies, there's only one universe, okay? <laughs> he will rule with all authority as given to him in Matthew 28, 18, as the prophesied descendant of David, the king of kings. As a matter of fact, I wanted you to turn to Revelation chapter 19, if you would. And you guys, are, I'm sure, are familiar with this passage, but I think it's so cool when you look at it here, just the way it unfolds. It says in Revelation 19, in, in verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Can you visualize that? And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus, right? And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us. But it says in verse 15, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, and here it is, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what is that all about? You know, that's about Jesus coming back, returning on the white horse. We're coming with him, by the way. And um, he's coming after the seven-year tribulation to set up his kingdom and to rule from Jerusalem. And he will rule on earth for a thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan can be released again from the abyss. And we know that he's going to muster up a rebellion, at which point the father will send down fire. And then there will be his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, the king of kings, the Lord of lords forever and ever. And so when you're celebrating Christmas, I was thinking about this. And I don't know, you know, it might be a little different. But you guys remember when Isaiah saw Jesus high and lifted up? You guys remember that in Isaiah chapter 6? If you cross-reference John chapter 12, you'll find that Isaiah saw Jesus. And all these angels, they were just singing around the throne, and they were, you know, kind of going back and forth. And you guys remember what they were saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did they say holy, holy, holy? Why three times? You ever think about that? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, so we can't be dogmatic about it, but there are some people who believe the reason why he, he said holy, holy, holy is because of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are some who say that, but again, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us the interesting thing about this is that when Isaiah saw him, he saw, it doesn't say the Father and the Spirit, 
It says he saw Jesus. He saw his glory. So others say, well, maybe the reason he's called holy, they say holy, 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 is because Jesus had the three offices that were anointed in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so some say maybe that's the reason. Uh, Again, we don't know for sure, but then there's a third one, and it's starting to really resonate within me more and more, because when we look at what Jesus did, I mean, there's kind of like, or does, or whatever, three things about him that are just so awesome, so awesome. Number one, the cradle. The cradle that God would become a baby. That you guys, we know for us, you know, we don't realize how, how infinite, how awesome, how holy, how just, um, you know, amazing that he would do that. But, you know, for us, we're getting a little glimpse of it. So that's one thing, the cradle. But then, do you, you think that's big? What about the cross? What about the cross where he died for our sins, where he suffered the punishment of God that we all deserve? For us, where he bore our sins, where he separated from the Father. That's huge. That's huge. And so you got the cradle, that's huge. You got the cross, that's huge. But then the third thing is the crown. I love that. I love these things about Jesus that we're reminded of every single Christmas. You know, for me, when I when I think of holy, 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 you know, I, I think that these are things that are worthy to be considered. You know, for some. The, the, the reason this component of Christmas is kind of hitting home a little harder this year. And I think a huge part of Christmas is connecting the cradle to the cross and to the crown. Thank you, Father, that you gave your son because I know who I was before I was saved. And I know where I was headed before you came into my life. I was on my way to hell, but God saved me because of his son You know, we know that the Lord might come any day now. No man knows the day or the hour, but in all reality, I hope that you guys know as a church that the rapture can happen at any moment, followed by that seven-year tribulation, followed by the thousand-year reign, but then it culminates with the new heaven and the new earth where our king will rule forever and ever, and we read it right here, of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end. The NIV calls it the greatness of his government. The NLT puts it this way. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And so this is why we celebrate Christmas the way that we do. Lord, thank you for taking on human flesh, not just for a season, but for a sacrifice and forever. Lord, it's not just this big Christmas thing, you know, that's global. It's very, very, very personal. I will see my dad again. You will see your loved ones again in Christ because of Christmas. How many of you here can testify to the fact that, you know, without Christ, you'd still be out there getting high, getting drunk? How many of you here would be divorced if it were not for Christ? 
How many of you here might be locked up? They threw away the key. There you are in prison. So many, you know, you name it. Although we still see a lot of struggles in the world that we live in today, I mean, so many things. The enemy is a, is a thief. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So many tempted to commit suicide. I mean, that might be me if it were not for the Lord. You see, his nature, that he's God and human, his nobility, that he's the king of kings forever and ever, and then uh, we see his, his name. And, and look at verse 6 again. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. I love that. And his name will be called. And some of you guys might know this by heart, right? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so when you look at the Bible and, and you look at, at Jesus, um, even looking just at, at God, it's a fascinating study to look at his names. You know, I encourage you when you get the opportunity, uh, I encourage you to just labor through the word of God and look at the different names of God because they all kind of show a, a little glimmer of who he is. And as you begin to soak in all the different names of God, it actually changes you. How many of you here um, forget names? I'm just curious. You're like, yeah, I met you last week. I I just got learned your name like five minutes ago. Can you tell me what it is again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey bro, hey sis. You know, we can probably play it safe that way. But you know, um, I, I pray we get better at that. You know, knowing people's names. But let me tell you something, man. It is imperative. It is imperative that you know the, the names of God and, and what the, the significance of them. Because especially something like this, you know, when you're looking at this, you know, Christmas verse, I mean, it was so interesting. I don't know if Naomi knew I was, you know, teaching on this passage today. I know I didn't tell her, but she sang a song that is talking directly about this verse because it's so deeply embedded in this Christmas season. It's huge. It's, it's it lifted up. It's high, and this is why for us, looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we should know these names, and we should know what they mean to us. And so notice again here, number one, and, and, they, and his name will be called, number one is wonderful, wonderful. You know, the English dictionary defines this word as inspiring delight, uh, admiration, good, marvelous, marvelous. In, in Hebrew, this noun frequently expresses the wonder or the extraordinary aspects of God's dealings with his people. Have you guys ever had a miracle happen to you in your life? Has God ever parted the Red Sea? Have you ever seen God raise someone from the dead? See, now you're talking about this aspect of God and they'll call his name wonderful. Wow, the way that he does these things for his people. The, the word is used in Exodus fifteen eleven. It says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And that right there in Exodus chapter 15 was a song of the people of Israel after God had defeated the nation of Egypt and redeemed them with an outstretched arm, they crossed through that Red Sea, just an amazing thing that God did. And then when Pharaoh's army came in after them, you guys remember what happened? Boom, 
God drowned them all. God killed them all. And that's the word. He, he's, you, you shall call his name wonderful. That's what God does. And I tell you what, when you look at the whole story right there, the people of Israel were groaning. God goes, he chooses Moses. By the way, another baby born with a destiny. He comes, God uses him. And God still does that kind of stuff today. You know, I don't know if you've been seeing that. I don't know if you've been praying that. But I hope that you don't lose heart in who God is. He is. The first thing here is listed as wonderful. And so for us, uh, one can't help but just be blessed by this word. I I love Psalm 77, verse 11, where the psalmist says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Now let me ask you a question. Why did he want to remember the wonders of old? Why? Is it just for nostalgia? No. You know, want to know something? I was reading about this uh, earlier today because as I was going through the different churches in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, one of them is Sardis, and it was the dead church. It was the dead church. And one of the things about a dead church is all they, they look back, and that's where they just worship their past. They're like, oh, look at what God did, you know, and that seems to be like everything. that. And, and we have to make sure that that's not us, that we're not just worshiping our past, we remember the past, what for? So that God will do wonders in the future. And that's what we want. Who do you know that needs to be saved? What is God laying on your heart? What ministries? How can you serve? What are the impossibilities that are in front of you right now today? What are those impossibilities? Well, you bring it before God as you're born again, again, because he was born, as God does a new work in your life, and you will see those wonders, because now you're soaking in his name. And they will call his name wonderful. And when I look at this word right here, I can't help but see the word wonder in wonderful. And wonder is a unique word, wouldn't you say, in that it inspires both a question, like I wonder, and an awe, like you wonder, you know, when you see the Grand Canyon. As a matter of fact, we speak of the wonders of the world. Uh, there are the new seven wonders of the world, and I wanted to show you guys pictures of it, but maybe later you can check them out because they're all pretty pretty stunning. The Taj Mahal, the Colosseum, the Shishen Itza, Machu Picchu, Christ the Redeemer there in South America, Petra, which is one of the places that we're going to in the Great Wall of China. Those are considered, right, the modern-day wonders of the world. And, and, you know, you see one of these and you're just struck with awe. Wow, so awesome. But this wonder that we're talking about, this wonderful makes all other wonders pale in comparison. You know, you you wonder about this. It's basically who he is. I was reminded of that passage in Judges 13, 18. You guys might remember when the angel of the Lord which is just simply, you know, the messenger. It was, a, it was a Christophany. It was a theophany. It was Christ coming down in the Old Testament. And he was talking to uh, Samson's parents. And he said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. It is wonderful. You guys couldn't have a child. Now you're going to have a child. That child will be so strong that he can kill his enemies with the jawbone of a donkey. Now, how many of you here would like to kill your enemies with the jawbone of a donkey? Most of you probably say, no, nah, not really. Well, we have other enemies. We have demons. Demons. 
We have the flesh. We have the world that is bombarding us. Anyone interested in defeating those enemies? Yeah. This is why we have to soak in the name. We have to soak in who Christ is. We're not just going by, you know, celebrating this season, so busy, not taking the time to really meditate on this. No, Lord, I praise God for those of you who came. I praise God for those of you who are watching. I praise God for those of you out there. that We know there are others maybe who couldn't make it or aren't watching, but they're still celebrating Christ. We have to do this. You know, it's what he does, the, the wonderful things, and it's who he is. We read frequently of God's wonderful works on our behalf. Psalm 107, verse 8, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I don't know where you're at, but I have a feeling that there are some people here today that tonight is going to be a new beginning for you. And you are going to praise God. You're going to praise God for the wonderful works he is going to do on your behalf. Psalm 40, verse 5, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. You know, even in the New Testament, ministry of Jesus is interesting. How we read in Matthew 21, verse 15, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, those guys were indignant. And so, you know, the world is going to see, they saw what Jesus did. They acknowledged it as being wonderful. But unfortunately, their hearts were not open. But it went on and it continues today. That's why we even see it in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, these guys, when they saw them speaking in tongues, it says, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so for us, uh, Lord, um, I, I never really stopped to take this huge verse in, but tonight I'm going to learn your name and I'm not going to forget it. I know you're Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. I know you're Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, but I also need to know that you're wonderful. Just, uh, it's your name, it's how you are, it's who you are. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, and I don't know if you guys can relate to this, how many of you guys like art? You know, you go to museums and you like art. I, I don't know why, for some reason, I love art, and I can go, and even though the artist might be weird, I still like the art, right? And also, I'll go look at a Van Gogh, at, at, at Norman Simon Museum, and I just, I'm, I'm in awe of it. I don't know why. It just kind of hits me. It speaks like a, a message to me. And then, you know, you go back a year later, and you go back a year later. And to be honest, it never gets old. And, and, and I think that when you're thinking of the Christmas story, we should maintain that awe. That's the way it is, this amazing story in which God sends a message that our Beyond words, 2 Corinthians 9.15, it says uh, that it's unspeakable. Thank be, thanks be to God for his uh, indescribable gift. Here we are, and I hope you guys know this, that no man, no person can adequately, with the words that we have, describe what took place when God was born. And so we see these, his name. Number one is wonderful. Number two is counselor. 
unto us a, a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That's his you know, nature now. And, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That's his nobility. And, and then his name will be called, number one, wonderful. Number two, it, it says counselor. And, and in Hebrew, the word yaas, it means to advise. It means to counsel or consult. It's used throughout the history of the Hebrew language uh, frequently. This verb occurs in the Old Testament about 80 times. And it's the same word used of Jethro's counsel to Moses and later on in the book of Numbers where he says, I will advise you, I will let you know, let me warn you, I will warn you. And that's who has been born to us. That's who's been given to us. Wonderful counselor. I will advise you. I will guide you. I will warn you. I will let you know. That's who we have in Christ. You know, nowadays we would define a counselor as a person trained to give guidance on personal, social, or psychological problems. And for us, of course, we know it would include spiritual problems or struggles, right? And we thank God for the godly people he places in our lives as counselors. I hope you guys have some friends like that. But may we never neglect to go to Christ first as our counselor because that is his very name. That's his name. You know, and you guys, we make uh, thousands of decisions, they say, every day, and sometimes you're making big decisions. Let me ask you a question. Do you really pray about it? Do you really pray about it? I mean, sometimes even myself as a dad or husband or as a pastor, a son, whatever it might be, there are a lot of decisions I need to make. And right away, you get all these thoughts. Well, what will they think about it? I wonder if it's okay, going to be okay with them or how's this going to work out for me or whatever. But, but God says, no, come to me first. I'm your counselor. I'm your guide. This is how you know, we get our plans squared away. You know, when you look at this, um, sometimes we run to the phone before the throne and sometimes people even get the counsel of the world. It just breaks my heart to hear. Be so careful. You know, when, you, when it comes to counselors, you know, I'm not saying there's never a place for what we would call professional counseling because, you know, there is, but I have a hunch that if people took this name of Christ to heart, Christ might counselor he himself would heal many broken hearts completely and perfectly for free you know according to uh, open minds market intelligence report recently completed in 2021 it said spending on counseling services reached 225 billion dollars it's a lot of money and that was a study completed in 2021 from 2019 can you imagine how much it is now because you guys know after uh, COVID, that whole chaos, that, you know, counseling, uh, those sessions, man, it is skyrocketed. You, sometimes you can't even find one of these counselors. And, and the Lord all along is just saying, well, let me be your counselor. You know, when you look at this, it's interesting. Some say the words wonderful counselor actually belong together. And I'm not sure. I think they stand alone as well. But they definitely do blend together. And something else I think that might be important for us when we're looking at this verse, did you notice the fact that it says, and his name 
will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It doesn't say names, plural. It, it says name. And what that means is there is a cohesiveness in all of these names. He is your Wonderful Counselor. And so call him by name. Wonderful Counselor, born to me, given to me, to guide me through life. What is the next step of faith that you will take? Your counselor, your guide, your planner, he'll be the one to show you the way. And this is why it's so imperative that we have a faithful, devotional life. You've got to be in the Word, my friend. You have to be in the Word. You will not be led by the Lord if you refuse to submit yourself to the discipline of Bible reading. It's one of the most important things in your life. If you want God to lead you, then you got to get into God's word. If you want God to guide you, then you have to pray. It's more important than all the other stuff you're doing because this is about God's guidance as your counselor. And I was talking to my son the other day and he's uh, going to college now and he's you know doing well. And um, I was telling him, you know what? I, I don't know what happened to me. I tell you guys this all the time, that not only do I lack wisdom, but I lack common sense. You guys know that, right? Before I was a Christian, right? And God helped me through that. But I was like, what, are, what happened to me growing up? Why did I never see the school counselor? Why? If I would have saw the school counselor, or maybe, you know, if somebody in my life would have said, you know, go to college, you know, or something, or, you know, think about stuff like that, Maybe I would have been guided in you know, a way that, I don't know, I think would have been better. Of course, we know God had a plan, but where was the counsel? It, it wasn't there. And of course, I wasn't a Christian at the time. But imagine you know, what a difference it makes when God is your counselor. You know, I, I pray you would be interested in that counselor because in him, you will fulfill his plans for your life. I don't know if you're interested in that, but I, I pray that you are. And so we, we read that he is wonderful, he is counselor. But then number three, he is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. You know, I want to know something that's really interesting. You guys have a Vines Dictionary. Any of you guys heard of a Vines Dictionary? You guys heard of that? Some of you have. So those of you who study the Bible, it's like basic. It's a very basic lexicon that tells us Hebrew or Greek words. While you go to your Vines Dictionary, there's something that's really interesting. The first word in the Vines Dictionary on the definition of this Hebrew word, mighty, is the word hero. Hero. You know, and we see a lot of movies about heroes today, and we know the concept of heroes. That's who he is. This is a strong, proven, and powerful and victorious warrior. And when you're you know, going through life as a Christian, one of the things I pray for every day, I say, pray, I pray, Lord, give me wisdom to know your will and give me the power to do it. And that's what we see right here. The wonderful counselor will give us the wisdom to know his will and the mighty God will give us the power to do it. And your life, my life will never be the same. You know, this is this strong, proven, victorious warrior, uh, the mighty God. I remember there was a song we used to sing called Mighty to Save. You guys remember that? 
mighty to save. Mighty to save in the, in the get-go when you get saved and you become a Christian. But when you read the Psalms, I'll tell you what, you read the Psalms about the God of your salvation, more of those instances are not talking about salvation from sin. They're, they're talking about salvation from traps. They're talking about salvation from situations. They're talking about the way that the enemy is trying his best to trip you up today. You might not even know it, but this God who is mighty to save will save you from those situations that the enemy is trying to use you know, to take you down. And, and maybe it won't even, well, yeah, they're going to walk away and they're going to die and go to hell. Maybe it, it's not that severe, but maybe it will be that you never live God's plan for your life. Because you didn't look to the simple name of the mighty God who is mighty to save. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, he is the mighty God, almighty God. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21 calls the Lord the mighty God. And he's born to us and he's given to us. You know, one of the cool things about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it starts in verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And this is where he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This mighty God, this one who has all authority is, is with us. Because we read right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we covered it last week, that unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, right? Uh, but then this next name is kind of interesting. The Bible calls Jesus the Everlasting Father. Now, now, you look at that one and you're like, what do you mean he's the Everlasting Father? It could also be translated a Father of Eternity. And so some will look at this and suggest that it simply speaks of his eternal existence. And while we know this to be true, that's really not the emphasis of this verse. As a matter of fact, it's important for us to know this. And in the Hebrew construction of the phrase, Father is the primary noun and everlasting describes his fatherhood. And so this is a verse that says he is father forever. And, and so some would ask, well, how so? How can Jesus be the father? As a matter of fact, some cults, they hold on to this verse and they teach what's called modalism, that you know God is just kind of like one God and, you know, and he has three different modes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and so you're looking at this and you're like, what do you mean Jesus is the everlasting father? Doesn't this impede on the, on the role of the father? But, but it, it doesn't. It, it simply speaks of another father figure we have in our lives as Christians. You guys have dads, right? You know what I'm talking about? And some of you have maybe a father figure. In, in one sense, it's like that. You know, anyone who's read the Bible with, even if your heart's just halfway open, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there is a distinction between the Father and the Son. And so it's not modalism. 
And so when the son here is called the everlasting father, what we're seeing is something different. And what we're talking about here is what's called a family. And it's, it's kind of interesting the way that it works um, as, as the father, the everlasting father. For example, let me ask you guys a question. Who would you identify as the father of the Jews? Who would you identify as the father of the Jews? Abraham. Some even call him, have you guys ever heard this? The father of the faith? Have you guys ever heard that? Yeah, some will call him that. But, but I would say, well, wait a minute. God is their father. God is the father of the faith. But you see what I'm saying? The role that Abraham played. Let me ask you another question. Who would you call the father of the United States of America? Historians would tell us that George Washington's critical role during the Revolutionary War, the Constitutional Convention, and his two terms as the first president of our nation led to him eventually receiving the informal title father of this country, right? And so in that sense, Jesus is like a father. It's kind of like that family. And we need to also see him that way. There's an interesting verse over in Hebrews chapter 2. I was wondering if you could turn there. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what we read in verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And so you guys probably already knew that, that we're in one sense the brethren of Jesus, right? But, but again, look what it says in verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, it says this, here am I and the children, the children whom God has given me. You see, there's Jesus referring to us in, in that sense uh, as his children. And so in looking at this right here, we see that God, we, one of the things I was thinking of, if you guys want to see it this way, is wonderful counselor is in reference to his plans for your life. And so any of you guys interested in his plans for your life? Okay. And, and then the, the mighty God is in one sense the way that he has given us power for our life. Amen? We got power now. But then the everlasting father, you're like, well, what's that about? Well, not the plans and not the power, but you want to know the way I see it now is this is very, very personal. That he is my father figure, that he is my brother, that he is, we are family. And we have to see the Lord that way. And, and as, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ and as that father figure, along with, you know, we see the Godhead, he provides for us, he protects us. And it's just such a beautiful thing to know that he loves us. And when those things sink in and you know his name, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, my hero father, what does it lead to? It leads to the last name right there, which is that he is the Prince of Peace. Amen? The, 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 the word Hebrew here, I mean, the word prince here in the Hebrew refers to an official leader, commander, 
captain, chief, or ruler. And so I, I wonder, do you have peace tonight? Or are you freaking out? Anxiety? You know, the, the struggles, the turmoil, the war that you're not winning? It's different when you allow him, when you go to Jesus like this, and he becomes your prince of peace. He's all that. And in his lordship and in his love, he leads us to this place. The Hebrew word shalom, you guys know that, right? It, it, it means uh, completeness. It means welfare. It, it means health. You know, and of course, we're not talking just physical health. We're talking about emotional health. We're talking about spiritual health and, and vitality and vigor. All that in this little baby who was born for us. You know, shalom is a very important term in the Old Testament and has maintained its place even in modern Hebrew. And so in Israel today, uh, people would greet the newcomer and they greet each other with those words that, that come from shalom, ma shlomka, I think that's how you say it. And, and what that means is, is what is your peace? And, and then they ask about the peace of your family. I was thinking about that. When we, when we see each other, usually it's hello or hi or what's up. You know, I'm, you know we're, we're pretty simple. Um, but I love the way that the, the Jews do it. Peace. How's your peace? I mean, just getting down to this, this radically important issue in our life. You know, this is what God wants for us. I mean, when you put it all together, it adds up. And as we close, I just want to ask you tonight, what's troubling you? What is troubling you? Are you able tonight to give that to God? Can you see the baby that was born that night? I want you, I want to be able to call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, which leads to the Prince of Peace. And of course, we know Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I, I want to encourage you guys to, to give it to God. You know, today when I was uh, just listening to some songs, some worship songs, I was taken back to 2001 there's a beautiful song. It's called This Is Our God. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's written by Chris Tomlin. And, and maybe someone needs to hear this tonight, you know, because you're hurting, because you're struggling, because you're, you know, going through stuff. And I love the words to this song, a, a refuge for the poor, a shelter from the storm. This is our God. And he will wipe away your tears and return your wasted years. This is our God. A father to the orphan, a healer to the broken. This is our God. And then listen to this. And he brings peace to our madness and comfort in our sadness. This is our God. Remember we went through that last week? He's my God, right? I'm his and he's mine. And that peace he wants to give is just so beautiful. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, a great many people are trying to make peace but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have 
to do is enter in. And so Adrian Rogers said, don't get the idea that the Old Testament has a different message from the New Testament. All the Bible is about Jesus. If you read the Bible and you don't find Jesus, you better go reread it. Whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament. Somebody may ask, well, if you've read the four Gospels, and I tell them I've read all 66. Because all 66 books of the Bible tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we celebrate him tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you.